to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Good morning, church. <clears throat> As Brother James said, my voice is a little limited today. Cut the grass yesterday, which is new for me. We have moved into a house with a yard since I was up here last. Um, there's a certain type of evangelical Protestant who would say that I don't have enough faith. And if I had enough faith that <clears throat> God would preserve my voice for the preaching. It's funny, you, you ever see a, a faith healer that wore glasses? Think about it. <laughs> We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2 and Hebrews 5 and 6 today. Thanks again, James. You finished the first page of my outline for me. <clears throat> first thing I want us to recognize is that our gospel is 
simple, right? Paul there in Hebrews 5 and 6 talks about milk versus solid food, and we're going to get into that, but we need to establish first that this gospel that we profess is simple, it is pure, it is sufficient. Scripture has given us everything we need to understand it. It doesn't take profound intellect to tease it out of the word. It takes just the mind of a child. Romans 1, Paul declares that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We boldly profess that salvation is of the Lord, it is in his hands, and it rests solely upon his mercy and his grace. Salvation through this gospel doesn't depend on any of our works, anything that God has foreseen in us. God didn't look into the future to see how you would respond. We also know that this salvation is not a deep mystery. All right, salvation was a mystery to the people of Israel, wasn't it? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, they looked upon Christ through shadows. They saw the, <clears throat> the works of the temple And through that, in faith, they looked upon Christ. They were still saved on account of the righteous and infallible promises fulfilled by the righteous and infallible Christ. So Christ is no mystery to us. He's fully revealed to us in the testimony of the apostles, in the writings of Paul. Here in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, I turn to Ephesians out of habit. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the power of God for salvation. That's the good news. Jesus Christ, his person, his work, his obedience, his death his resurrection, the power of God for salvation. It's not a mystery to us. And so Paul approaches the Corinthians without any lofty speech and wisdom. Right? I can't tell you what that meant for Paul. he was speaking to Corinth, lofty speech and wisdom probably would have involved the profound teachings of the philosophers. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. For us, it means that I don't have to come to you with profound knowledge of historical theology. My evangelism need not call upon Calvin or Bavinck or Burkhoff 
or any of these other people who have written about Christ. I don't have to explain to you the significant distinctions between God's attributes, the ones that are communicable and the ones that are incommunicable. Right? These are lofty speech. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Doesn't mean they don't have their place. It means that when we talk about encouraging the brothers with the simple gospel, it means that we don't need them. Right? We have seen this in our own assembly before, where persons have demanded certain language, certain vocabulary. This is lofty speech. Well-meaning people demand certain working theological vocabulary before they will affirm your profession. This type of attitude is wickedness, and it goes against the proclamation of Scripture. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 2 a divinely appointed sufficiency of preaching Christ and Christ crucified. We need only affirm that Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on human flesh, perfectly obeyed his Father's law, and then suffered the wrath of his Father for the sins of his people. By the power of the Spirit of God, he was raised from the dead, and in glory he ascended to the heavens, where he now awaits the day when at his Father's command he will return to judge the nations. If that's not good enough for you, then Christ is not good enough for you. Paul approaches the Corinthians with fear and trembling. Humility and simplicity. His speech and his message are not articulate or enticing. He did not appeal to the intellects of the philosophers. The ESV says plausible. I did not approach you with plausible words. And in some sense, that's an okay translation, right? The gospel is presented to us in plain English, and we can understand it. Um, But still, there's some sense in which it doesn't make sense, right? The gospel of Christ doesn't appeal to our sense of justice, right? At least if we understand that we are sinners in that we bring nothing to the table. We understand that we deserve God's justice. But there's no reason for God to have loved us except that he chose to. Instead, Paul characterizes his teaching saying, in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Christ and Christ crucified. The power of God for salvation. He declares the simple gospel to the people of Corinth. 
And when it comes to evangelism, this is all we really need, right? We don't bring anything to the table except for the words of God. Right? When we bring in our own schemes, our own ideas, we can perpetrate a false gospel. There was one um, apologist. <clears throat> he was talking in the context of um, churches that are very attractive in terms of you know, what they have to offer as far as like extracurriculars. And the saying that he likes to use is what you win them with is what you win them to. It's this idea that whatever thing it is that attracts people to your church will be their expectation. And if that goes away, so will that. It's my hope that each of you has been attracted to this assembly because of this simple gospel. And if this simple gospel ever leaves this pulpit, I hope that you would leave too. About this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. We're in Hebrews 5 now. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews 6.1 Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, I don't want to rebuke you. I'm using these passages together too expose the reality of what happens when we neglect the study of the word in the assembly of the saints, whatever that looks like. For some, it looks like sleeping in on Sunday mornings. For some, it looks like thinking, I'm going to read the word today, and then you just never get around to it. For some, it looks like reading so much theology and believing that that is the same thing. That's where I've been before. Hebrews 5.11 says about this, and so whenever you see something like that, this ambiguous you know, we're talking about this. You need to read up a little bit to see, see where we've been. Verse 7 is the this. Paul writes, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, Paul is writing about Christ and Christ crucified. So we need to recognize the warning that Paul gives here in in Hebrews. Yes, Scripture has warnings to us. Even in the New Testament, we are given warnings about certain behaviors. And wisdom will obey them. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Obviously, the problem is not the gospel, right? The problem with dull ears is not the gospel, right? And the problem is not that the gospel is hard to understand, hard to grasp, right? When we find ourselves disconnected from Christ, disconnected from the word, disconnected from the assembly, it's because we have become dull of hearing. We do not receive the teaching of Scripture because our ears have become dull to the words of Christ. Right, and this can happen to anyone. It happens to me with alarming regularity. It happens to James. It happens to each one of you. No one here is special or No one here is spiritually elite, and we're not immune to this. Our ears become dull, and I would point to two reasons. One is pride. When we become proud of where we've been, proud of our knowledge, how much we know, our ears become dull. Most of you are parents. Have you ever told your child something and they say, I know. And then they didn't do what you told them to do because they weren't listening because they knew. It's the same thing. I preach Christ and Christ crucified and in your pride you say, I know this stuff. And you stop listening. Again, I'm not rebuking you. (laughs) I'm observing this pattern in my own life. I imagine you are as well. We all go through this. In my spiritual infancy, it was very easy for me to get caught up in the technical, theological thought profoundly intellectual teaching. Right? It's really easy, and it's really fun, right, to get into deep questions like, what if aliens came to Earth? Do they need the gospel? Right? And we could talk for hours about that. Right? We could come up with all the different ways in which Paul would evangelize the Klingons. 
Right? But there's a trap there. When we start talking about conjectural theology, that's what I'm going to call it, conjectural theology. How would Scripture tell us to behave in situations that are 100% not real? Never going to happen. We start from a place with a simple and truthful and sufficient gospel, and then we wander into hypothetical scenarios, deep philosophical questions that no biblical author ever attempted to address. And because no biblical author attempted to address these hypotheticals, we have to sort of fill in the gaps with our best guess of how Paul would have told Captain Picard to plan his voyage. We fill in these gaps with our own creativity. We provide our own conjectures about how the Bible would answer these questions. And then this is where it goes horribly wrong. We take that system of conjectural theology and we allow it to bleed backwards into our understanding of Scripture. Right, when this happens, it's far more subtle than... You know, waking up one day and realizing, man, I'm, my theology of aliens is really affecting how I relate to my brothers and sisters in the church. It's far more subtle than that. The other root cause for these dull ears... ...is forsaking the assembly... Right, we've talked a lot about how our maturity in Christ is directly correlated with your fellowship in the assembly of the saints. When we gather together under the teaching of the word, it forces us to engage with one another on the platform of the gospel. It forces us to see the simplicity of the faith that our brothers and sisters have. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Right, I still drink milk. A lot of milk. (laughs) But I also eat solid food, right? Each of us, from time to time, needs to be reminded of the simple and pure gospel, don't we? Just because we are mature and have gone on to maturity, which we're going to talk about what that means, there's still a place for us to consume the simple and pure gospel, to be reminded of it. But Paul here is specifically addressing those people who have been in the faith for a long time and ought to have a reasonably deep understanding of Scripture who still live off of spiritual milk.
And I read this passage. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I've come to this passage many, many times in my life. And I've been looking for a justification for my interest in theology here. Been looking for being able to defend a fascination with theological philosophy. And I've tried so many times to beat it out of this text. But Paul didn't have the works of John Calvin, right? Paul didn't have Turretin's elements of elenctic theology. If you don't know who Turretin is, God bless you. Don't worry about it. Paul didn't have these things. Paul didn't have theological meditations on systematic theology from the history of the church. What history? What church? There's no way Paul's talking about this here. Solid food is for the mature. Paul can't be talking about this stuff because it didn't exist. What is he talking about? New Christians, spiritual infants need milk, the pure and simple gospel. But solid food is for the mature. What comes after believing the gospel? Living with the church in the assembly. This solid food that is for the mature is reflections on the scriptural commands about how we ought to relate to one another. The solid food that is for the mature is how we ought to love our brothers and sisters in the assembly. Paul's not talking about systematic theology because there's no such thing. Closest thing to it was Romans. So maybe Paul's talking about, read Romans, guys. All right, you believe the gospel. Now go understand Romans. And so he explains this in chapter 6. In case you still had hope of finding systematic theology in 514. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go into maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and of instruction about washings, laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Right? And there's a place for these things, right? This is not to say that systematic theology is bad or wrong or useless. There's a place for it. 
It has particular application in certain refutations of certain heresies and their thought structure. But even then, the purpose it should serve is as an encouragement to the saints, right? I can tell you about all the different heresies that are sort of variations on a theme of something called theistic mutualism, that there's some sort of give and take between us and God. Right, this is the gospel of evangelical cults, the gospel of Arminianism, that there's this idea that God is waiting, just waiting for you to make the next move. Or this idea that God does not know everything. There are all variations on this same theme that God is not the omnipotent sovereign of all things. And when we examine scripture and how scripture relates to these false heresies, we come up with something called divine simplicity. Right? Scripture doesn't have those words. But if we were to systematize all the ways in which scripture refutes these heresies, slap a label on it, call it divine simplicity. Cool. We did theology, right? There's a place for the study of theology, and if you want to talk about what that looks like, let's talk about it, right? But that conversation that we have, if we want to talk about how we should study systematic theology together. The conversation's not going to look like, all right, which theologian do you think we should read together? Do you think we should start with Calvin, move on to Burkhoff? No. This conversation is going to look like, all right, here, let's figure out how we can situate reading some theology in the context of your reading of Scripture. Let's talk about how well or how poorly so-and-so reads particular text. There's a place for theology, and it is as a supplement to, as an exercise in applying what you have read from the Bible. Back in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. All right, and this gets back to the heart of the issue with the simplicity in evangelism. Right? It doesn't matter how convincing you are. Like, that's the big beef with I ha that I have with, like, apologetic evangelism. Right? So many people view apologetics as a, as though they are convincing the unbeliever to follow Christ. Okay, Paul says that you can't do that. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And the gospel isn't convincing enough because it doesn't make sense. Right? Romans 3, no one does good, no one understands, no one seeks for God. 
natural man cannot understand spiritual truth, and there is only one solution to spiritual blindness, that he be born again by the power of the Spirit and have his eyes opened to the truth of God. And there is only one thing which God has promised as the appointed means of doing that. God has ordained that the faith of his people be found in the gospel of Christ heard through the teaching of the word. It's the unique means that God uses to bring about the regeneration of his people. Nothing else can open your eyes. So in this, we see the futility of adding our own wisdom to the gospel. If the gospel alone is the only thing that can open the eyes of the blind, how can we make that even more effective? What do we have to offer? We offer Christ and Christ crucified. Just how Paul approached the Corinthians. natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. This gospel is foolish. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this gospel, this pure, simple Easy to understand gospel. It's only our starting point. And from here we go on to understand Paul's instructions about how to love one another. How to live in the assembly. If that means you want to get together and talk about theology, we can do that. But theological vocabulary is not maturity. I have had an enormous working understanding of systematic theology for a long time. But I've been somewhat spiritually mature for a much shorter time. And even saying that, we need to be careful. I mean, to stand before you and say, I am spiritually mature, right? I might be right now, and I might not be tomorrow. 
There have been plenty of times this week when I haven't been, right? This maturity of faith is not a status that we attain and then hang on to as a matter of, you know, I've got it, now I'm good, right? It ebbs and flows, it comes and goes. And sometimes we must be reminded of this pure and simple gospel that we have been given. Christ and Christ crucified. If anyone tells you that your evangelism must be evangelism must be anything apart from simply teaching Christ and Christ crucified in love, don't listen to them. I said something important there, right? Teaching Christ and Christ crucified in love, right? That's that moving on to maturity part I was talking about. Because it's entirely possible to, you know, say things that are biblically accurate, theologically correct, without love, right? My voice is about spent, so I'm going to keep it short today. Maybe we'll do an extra long Lord's table. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll take the table together. God, we thank you for this simple gospel. That through your spirit we can understand it despite its foolishness. And that in your time we'll, we will go on to maturity, to solid food. And that again by your spirit we will